Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your hearts for a message from God's Word. All right, well again, good morning. Uh, my name's Kyle. If, you are, if this is your first time, I'm the lead pastor here. We're so excited that you are here. We've been in a series this summer entitled, You Asked For It. We've been covering and kind of tackling some tough topics that a lot of times churches don't talk about just because they can be somewhat controversial or they can be somewhat hard to understand and they're not just always the popular thing to talk about. In today's topic, we're actually going to be talking about death. Look at your neighbor and just say, you're going to die. At some point, you know, hopefully not today and hopefully not during this service, okay? Uh, We're a plant. We don't have that policy even in place yet. So, Don't die right now, but at some point, we are going to die. And you go, Kyle, that's an interesting topic to pick when we're celebrating today on our baptism service, new life. And and that, that, hey, in Christ, that we're new, that we have new life in him. What an interesting topic. So why would we pick that? First of all, it's because you asked for it. We surveyed you. We got emails that came in, topics that came in where people said, I got questions about this. What happens when I die? What do I know about death? And then secondly, one of the most awesome privileges and things that God gives us as a follower of his is that when you are a Christian, that, that when we die to ourselves in Christ, when we're buried in death with him and raised to new life, you no longer have to fear death because you have the privilege and the opportunity and the promise from the Father that you will live forever in eternity with him. That's an awesome privilege that we have. But there are questions about death and what happens when we die. Because And, and here's kind of the main point and why we want to talk about this is because What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live. Think about that. What you you determine, what you believe about death and eternity will determine the way that you live your life. Again, different people have different views on death. Atheists believe that you die and that's it. No eternity, so there's no reason to live with eternal motivation. That when you die, you're worm dirt, you're six feet under, you're pushing daisies, it's it. That's what they believe. So it definitely affects the way that they live their life here. Islam believes that Allah will, will judge you and that he'll judge your works. And depending on how you did on, in this life depends on how you'll do in the next, where you will end up. And some people believe that you die and kind of turn into little angels and become like little cupids that fly around and, and, and fill the earth with that. And some people believe that. Some people believe in reincarnation. That you come back as something good or something bad depending on how you lived here on this side of earth. And that's always challenging to me because when I went to India, cows are considered sacred because it could be a relative that you had. And so there's literally cows that roam the market streets. If you've never been there, look this up because they won't kill them because it could be someone from their past life. And so... So it's just a strange thing that, that, that people could believe that. And others believe in purgatory, that, that when you, you can go to a place, it's kind of a holding tank, and that if people behind you, your loved ones, pray hard enough for you, that you can actually make it out and get to heaven. Different people have different views about death and what happens when we die, and the way we view it and what we believe affects the way we live. It affects the way we live now. So... What do we 
know about death, building a foundation on this. And again, we don't, we don't know everything because the Bible isn't exactly clear on all things, but some things are clear, some not quite so clear. So today, let's just wrestle with these things a little bit and, and talk about and lay the foundation of what we know. The first thing we know about death is this. Death is certain, right? Scholarly people have done studies, spent a lot of time researching this, and and they've come to the conclusion that one out of one person will die, right? That you will die unless you are a believer and Jesus comes back in in your lifetime, you will face death. Death is certain for you. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28 says this, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You are destined to die. Again, look at your neighbor, tell him again, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. And no matter what happens, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how healthy you are, eventually you're gonna die. And what happens after that, as Hebrew says, is that we face judgment. And what will happen at judgment depends on what you did with Christ, the decision you made with that knowledge on this side of heaven and eternity. So why is Jesus so important to your eternal destination? Because here's the deal. We are all sinners, the Bible says. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us has fallen away from the amazing grace of God, that, that because we're born into a sinful world, there's no choice. No matter how good you are, no matter how many good things you've done, the Bible says on our very best day that our righteousness, what we can do in ourselves, the good works that we can produce, is still not good enough for a holy God. And so the promise that we have of our eternity in him is crucial in what we believe. Because death is certain, but those who believe in Jesus, who have put their faith in him, who have buried themselves in death, been raised to new life in him, have the promise of eternity forever. And so for Christ's followers, the awesome thing that we have is that death isn't the end. In fact, it's just the beginning. That's a good spot for an amen. For those of you who believe, to say God has given that gift to you. That wasn't, that wasn't something that we earned or something we deserved. The Bible says that the amazing grace of God, that God was so rich in mercy and love, that he sent Jesus for you and for me. And because we couldn't pay the price for our sin, Jesus was the only one who could. And so he was willing, he voluntarily, though he was God, gave up his life and took on our sin, took on our punishment, bared the cross for us so that we don't have to fear death. It's an awesome thing that we get. It's an awesome privilege that we have. That death is certain, but all can be saved from it. Because of Jesus, not because of us. In fact, the scripture says that that anyone, and that includes you, no matter what you've done, no matter how dark your life has been or is currently, no matter how messed up you are, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord with a sincere heart, the Bible says they will be saved. That is the good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we planted this church. That's why we're here. That's why people are getting baptized because we know that people are looking and listening and waiting to hear 
about the good news of Jesus. It's good news. There's enough bad news in our world, amen? There's enough bad news. It's tragedy after tragedy happening. I'm still trying to get my mind around what happened this week with the airplane, a passenger plane, 298 people, boom, death was certain for them. I had no clue it was coming, taken out of the sky because of the world we live in. That quick it can happen in any moment, a car accident. So death is there. We can't avoid it. No matter how much we want to ignore it, it is going to be there. And people need to hear the good news that they don't have to fear death because of what Jesus has done for them. So we know that death is certain. The second thing we know, that when we die, the soul and the body separate. The soul and the body separate. That's the second thing that we know, that this is not... Your, your body is not your soul, that they are two different things, that this is just skin, that this is just flesh, that this is not the real me, that this is just a tent, this is just a temple that God has given me to, to, to house my soul. It's an outer covering, and, and it's a house for the real you, but not the real you. So how many of you are thankful that this thing isn't going to go with you to heaven, right? Some of you are like, hey, man, that's the best news I've heard all day, Pastor. You can keep preaching on that one. This is not the real me. The real me is inside of me. Can you all understand that, right? But it's true that this is just flesh and bones, that this is what houses the spirit in us, our soul that's in us. And when we die, those things separate. And so though, though we're in a coffin, the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so that even though we go to a funeral and we grieve and we do those things and we understand that, that, that although my body may someday lay in a coffin and people will come to mourn and to celebrate my life, they, I'm not there, right? Like, that's the promise we have that, hey, yeah, you know, it's cool. You know, you don't have to mourn for me because I'm in heaven. I'm with Jesus. And so the body and the soul will separate when we die. Matthew 10, 28 says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and the body in hell. So our soul will live forever. It's not a matter of if it will live on forever. It will live forever. The, the, the question mark that's there is, is when it will happen and where you will go. When you die, they will separate. You will live forever in one place or another. John eleven twenty five through 26 says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Those are the words of Jesus. What an awesome promise that Jesus has given us, that we don't have to fear death, that this body, although it's going to get old and it's going to start shutting down, and because of the world we live in, it's not going to go probably the way that we plan, and we are someday going to leave this body behind, and we will get the opportunity to live forever. So it's not a matter of if, it's just when and where it will happen. So we know that Death is certain, it's unavoidable, that the soul and body will separate. The third thing we know about death is this, is that you will face judgment. You will face the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27, and again, it said that we're destined to die once, and after that is to face judgment. I don't know about you, but getting judged by God is a very sobering thought to me, to think that God will judge me for what I've done and the mistakes I've made and in the past that I had, and, and even now that I've been following Christ for, you know, 15, 20 years, that 
that even in those moments, that even I've, as, a, as a pastor, I'm fearful. I could be fearful of facing the judgment of God, that we will do that. Getting judged by people is nerve-wracking. I remember as a kid trying out for a traveling baseball team. And Westerville North is the high school I attended, and they had, you know, traveling teams for middle school kids. And so I remember going to that tryout, and they, they put you out there by yourself, and, and they hit you ground balls, and they hit you fly balls, and it, there's no one else there, and it's just you. And so however you perform, and however well you do, they, they judge you on that. It's kind of like the American Idol, and some of them coaches were like Simon, you know what I mean? I was like, man, it's a little unfair. I'm 12 years old here. Cut me a little slack, right? So I gave my very best. They judged me, and I came up short. I didn't make the team. And I was a good baseball player. That was, I wasn't like, you're supposed to laugh at that, but it's okay. <laughs> I wasn't that good. Obviously, I wasn't that good because I didn't make the team. But what I found out, it was a very political thing, right? Who your dad was, who your dad wasn't, how involved they were, your older brother on the football team, the booster thing. And so what was awesome about it is that a coach, his son, his son didn't make the team either. He said, man, these are a lot of good baseball players who didn't make the team. So he put a team together. And it was called the Westerville Baseball Club. And we tried for a long time to get the team that cut all of us on our schedule. And finally, they put us on their schedule. And guess what we did? We won. Yes. You think I would have said if we lost, I would have included that in my notes today? <laughs> yes, we won. We beat them. And in fact, I hit a double off the wall and started our rally that won the game. And I said, so you judged me not good enough, and look what I just did, right? Sounds a little prideful today. But getting judged by people is one thing, but getting judged before God, the one who knows all things, the beginning from the end, who doesn't just judge your actions, who judges your heart, who judges your motives, who judges your thoughts, is a very sobering thing. So what does the Bible teach us about judgment? There are actually different, two different types of judgment that we face, that most biblical scholars believe. And the first one is this, it's called the great white throne judgment. And this judgment will be only for people who never confess their belief in Jesus, who never committed their life to follow them. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John, in the book of Revelation, wrote this. He said, then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, which was hell. Death, torment, away from God. So what do we know from this passage? First of all, is there's books However it is, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but there's books. And one book is the book of life. And when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and commit your life to following after him, your name is now written in the book of life. And so you will not be judged at the great white throne judgment. Because it says here that then they were judging people based on their works. So there's also books that record our deeds, our works are in them. And if your name is not in the book of life, you're going to be judged according to your works. And we all know, just from what I said earlier, the good news of the gospel is, is that none of us in our works can earn salvation. It's a free gift 
given to us by God when we confess our belief in Jesus. And so if we've never done that and we are judged by God, again, the sobering thought of that, without the covering of Jesus, we're going to be judged by our works. And we all know that no one can face God being judged by the way they live their life and make it to heaven. So then they'll be separated from God. They'll be sent to hell. And we don't like to preach about hell. It's not a warm, fuzzy topic like we, that we like to talk about. And if I had time today, I would go into a little bit more of what hell is. And, and some people think, well, hey, I'm going to go. My friends are going to hell too, so we'll party. No, it's not. The Bible describes it as total torment and isolation, completely separated from the love of God, away from p- people, tormented for eternity. It's, no one wants to go there. That's why we plant a church. That's why we are compelled to go out with the good news because God says his will is that no one should perish, that he doesn't want to send anyone to hell to torment forever. And so we have to make sure we do our job as believers. Once our name is written in the book of life, that we do everything we can to make sure that no one else faces the judgment of God without the covering of Jesus. We have to make sure that we do that. We have an obligation to do that. The second judgment that we will face is the judgment seat of Christ. To explain this is, this isn't, again, a qualification of heaven. This is only for believers. This this is for people who have confessed their belief in Christ that your eternal destination has already been determined on earth. You can't make that decision once you die. You have to make it now. And then this judgment determines whether or not we qualify for rewards in heaven. Romans 14, 10b says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat, that we will stand before him, all of us, believers and non-believers. And 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in body, right? While we were housed in this body, whether good or bad. The Greek word here for judgment seat is actually the word Bema. Look at your neighbor and say Bema. There's no point in that. It's just a fun word to say, right? B-E-M-A. Bema. It's a very rich word that has a lot of historical meaning. Bema literally meant to step up. So a step up onto this platform is what it meant. It was used, judicially speaking, if a person would take a step up into the, the Bema seat it, and the judge would say guilty or not guilty. It was also used very commonly in the Greek Olympic Games, which is pretty cool for you Olympic fans out there. If you or anyone in the Olympics that, that won a competition, the man or woman who won would take a step up onto the Bema step, and the judge would come over, and the competitor would bow down, and the judge would place an olive crown upon the winner's head. They'd say, congratulations, you are the winner. Here is your medal. Let's play the national anthem for you, right? So it was literally a step up, We would step somewhere to be judged, stepping up to get judged. So one day, all of us in here will face Christ, will stand before God and be judged for the way that we've lived on this side of heaven, this side of eternity, the way we've lived our life, what we have done. And someday, we are going to get there, to heaven. And I long for that day, and we all should long for the day to be with Jesus We should all long to be with the one who saved us and to experience that. And and for the first time, you're going to look into his eyes and you're going to really understand what his love was all about. I just feel that, that I'm going to look at him and I'm going to be broken to go, man, you loved me that much. I, I couldn't comprehend it 
when I was living in earth. But man, you loved me that much that you took on the sin of the world. And so you're going to stand before him and all you're going to want to do is worship him. Because you're going to sense the love of God in a way that you never had. And you're going to want to worship him. You want to say, God, I'm so unworthy to be in your presence. All the things that I've done, you still love me, you still die for me. We're going to sense that, and we're going to bend down, and we're going to bow down to worship God, and he's going to say, wait a second, stand up, I have to judge you. It's time for your judgment, and he's going to look at you, and you're going to look him in the eye, and he's going to say, well done. Well done, my good thing. You're going to go, no, 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 not me, God. I, I, I didn't do a good enough job. I didn't do it. He said, no, you did do good to me. I'm proud of you. You did good things. You're going to say, what kind of good things did I do for you? And he's going to remind you of some of the things you did through your life and some of the ways that you served and loved him and loved people. And he's going to say, whatever you did and to the least of these people, you did for me. Remember the Sunday that, that you showed up at church even though you didn't feel well and you had the worst week ever and you went back into kid venture and you loved on those babies he said you did that for me remember the day at work when when someone across the cubicle you could visibly see was was shaking you could visibly see something was not right in their life and and you took them in and although you were busy you were on your way to a meeting that you stopped and you asked them how they were doing and they begin to tell you where they were and you took that moment to pray with that person they're going to say he's going to say you did that for me that was done in my name and when you gave sacrificially to my kingdom of your gifts of your talents of your treasures when you invested that into me you did good god's going to say well done thy good and faithful servant you served me you shared my love what an awesome privilege we will have to face our savior when we have done good for him when we can be confident and the way we lived our life. And he's going to place a crown on your head. Why a crown? Because it's his kingdom. You're coming into his kingdom. And so the Bible says he places a crown on your head. And we don't know what kind of crowns. The Bible tells us five of them that I'm going to share with you. But I think there could be thousands of crowns for what you've done, the good things you've done. Maybe there's jewels in those crowns to signify what you've done. And so crowns that we can receive, first of all, is the incorruptible crown. And I didn't have time to go through all these scriptures, but they're there in your notes and in the app, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. This is for people who were pressing on to grow more in God. They said, I'm not just going to accept you and then just hold on to that. I want to grow deeper. I want to know you more. I'm going to grow in your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to serve. I'm going to get involved in a life group because I know how important community is for me. I'm going to desire to please and serve God. Those of you who are living that way, pressing in daily to follow after God, you're going to receive the incorruptible crown. Then in 2 Timothy 4.8 says that we will have the crown of righteousness. And those are the ones who just long to be with Jesus. The scribes in, in that book that Timothy of, of those people who just long to be with God and to come back for his church will see the crown of righteousness. There's the crown of rejoicing found in 1 Thessalonians 2 where this is the, the soul winner's crown. Is that you cared about God's people. That you cared about your neighbor more than just driving into your garage and shutting the door. That you went out and you walked the neighborhood. That you loved on those people. That you shared your faith. That you shared the good news that everyone is waiting to hear. You'll receive the crown of rejoicing. The crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 4. It says this is the one who, who shepherds people. 
who really cares for people, the life group leaders of our church who say, I'll commit to open up my home. I'll commit to, to host people and to call people and to pray with people and to help shepherd them in their relationship with God. It's the crown of glory. And then lastly, in James chapter 1 and Revelation 2, it's the crown of life. And this is the crown for those of you who endure trials and hard times and you faced some difficult situations, you faced some tragedies in your life, some challenging things, but you stayed faithful to God. You never quit. You never threw in the towel. You never turned your back on him. The Bible says that you will receive the crown of life. And people all over this world receive this crown. It's facing persecution. I was reading yesterday now then in Iraq and with the, the ISIS movement, whatever that is, I'm probably not saying it right, but uh, these terrorists that are now moving back into Iraq, that there's hundreds of Christians fleeing for their life, that, that if these terrorists find them, they will put a gun to their head and say, you confess Islam or we will kill you. They will receive the crown of life, the apostles, the disciples, all of them except one martyred for their faith in Jesus and the work that they did will receive the crown of life. And so when we face the judgment seat of God, we will face him and we will be rewarded. And so do you get to heaven? Yes. But you will stand before Jesus in all of his love and all of his holiness and you will give an account for the way that you live. We will be rewarded for the things that we did. Some of you have done some great things for God, worthy of receiving rewards. Some of you may have not. And for those of you who haven't, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 kind of describes what we will feel in that moment. And the band can come, we're going to close out. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, it says, A person's work will be shown for what it is on the day. What is that day? D-Day is Judgment Day. We will stand there and, and God will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. And if he is what if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. And if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So the bottom line is this, is that some of you, man, you're going to be rewarded. You're not going to feel worthy of it, but God's going to say, you've been an amazing follower of Jesus. You've dedicated your life to sharing the good news. It was tough sometimes, and it got rocky, but you stayed faithful. You invested your life into God's kingdom, and I think when we get to heaven, we'll just be blown away. We'll be blown away of what God's done for us and the rewards that we will have for our faithfulness to him. And we don't do it for the rewards. We do it because of what Jesus did for us. But nonetheless, the Bible says we will receive rewards. Some of us, we won't be rewarded. That you believe in God, maybe you confessed a prayer and maybe you did it a long time ago and maybe you're really trying to get back into it of really being committed in your relationship with him and following hard after him. But but maybe the only benefit from your relationship is, is the salvation. And there's very little evidence of Christ in your life. There's very little evidence of, of serving Him and living for Him. And, and on that day when we face judgment, I feel like we would be filled with regret because we'll truly experience the love of God for the first time. We'll really understand what He actually did for us. And we're going to go, Jesus, I'm so sorry. 
I didn't do more. That I didn't tell others. And we'll make it into heaven, but as Corinthians tells us, only is one who escapes hell. Not for one who lived their life investing in God's kingdom.